Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students, people looking to discover more about superheroes and their history with the world, because both are awesome. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey, exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, or failing this city, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. For five years, I've had only one thought. Survive. Oliver Queen is alive. I am returning, not the boy who was shipwrecked, but the man who will bring justice to those who have poisoned my city. Those who rule through intimidation and fear. Every last one of them will wish I had died on that island. He was wearing a hood, a green hood. And he had a bow and arrow. We'll put out the APB on Robin Hood. Did your father survive that accident? Did he tell you anything? He told me I'm going to kill you. All units converge! It looks like Starling City has a guardian angel. Tell me you saw that. Arrow Season 1. And yes, there will be spoilers. Oh boy, Tommy dies. Okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way... Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, spoilers. Oh, the dude's dad dies too. We should get that out, you know, out of the way right away. Uh, not unless you've seen the second season. Oh, uh, major spoilers there. <laughs> Malcolm Merlin needs to die. Let's just put it that way. Uh, first opinions, season one... Uh, let's start with the 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 least educated of by least educated I mean less least involved with watching the show. Yeah, I'm definitely more educated than both of you. Uh, yes, the um, on paper that is correct. But but I life was a bit crazy this weekend. I my grandma's 80th birthday, so that spent all my Sunday, so I didn't have a whole lot of time to. Get caught up. I watched a season one recap and the pilot, and that's about it. Um, but it was good enough that I'm probably going to watch the rest of the season eventually. <laughs> I was going to say, behind a list of other shows that you're probably Yeah, behind, you know, a million other things that I have to do. Yay! Plus, plus uh, World of Tomorrow is on Netflix, Don Hertzfeld's new film, and uh, I'm going to watch that, like, 20 more times. Oh, good God. Arrow season one. You know, this happened a long time ago for me. I mean, I'm pretty, I kept up with that show as it came out pretty much. Freshman year of college, yikes. And I thought this show was so cool. I get. I mean, I I I firmly believe I 100% fall within the demographic they were shooting for, because uh, it's the CW, and they're all like, "Can we get teenagers uh, who like soapy dramas?" All right, Dawson's Creek, right over there. Gilmore Girls. Let's get the boys. Uh, Smallville, and we're gonna do this little ditty called Arrow. 
and it totally worked. I mean, I love this show. So much fun combat. So the first season's plot is spectacular. There's tons of very, very subtle DC Easter eggs that make me fill with nerdy glee. Um, also make me question my knowledge when Deathstroke shows up within five minutes of the damn show, and it's totally not Slade Wilson. And it, apparently there was another Deathstroke, but not really. Look it up, kids. Popcorn Skyler. Yeah, Arrow Season 1 is just good TV. Going into it, it was pretty freaking apparent that they cribbed heavily from Batman Begins and how they wanted to tell this story, but I think it worked in the long run. I mean, obviously they've gotten farther away from that down the road, but for the first season, like you said, it has uh, greatly shot action sequences. Characters are really good. Laurel's not the worst yet. Um, I, I, I'm, I was so refreshed with how, like, man, Laurel was a really solid character. Before she was. someone ruined her. Right. Theo was the one that you just like, oh, God, get her away for season one. And then, obviously, we know how that turned out. But Well, we're like, Thea, it's a teenager, lost her dad. Like, imagine going through tragedy and puberty. It's rough. <laughs> it's full of drugs. It's full no. of drugs. No, it's um, it uh, spun its t- uh, stories really well, especially in how it balanced the uh, flashback sequences with the um, current timeline. Um, obviously, it's a CW show, so they just have to cram in like all of the pop music and hot people they can. Mm, but of course, but for its trappings, I, I think it's still a really good show, or season especially of a show. It is a it is a must watch television. I think of just like the last five years of really well put together television. So let's move on to how people thought. I mean, everybody blew up, and like by everybody, I mean like people within our community were just like, Arrow, everybody's watching Arrow, it's amazing. But how well did it really do? What's the stat? Well, uh, I just have to pull up the story here. I'm sorry. Uh, according to a uh, story, an article from TV series finale back in uh, 2013, around the end of the first season. Um, the ratings for the show were actually pretty decent in that it averaged about 3.25 million for each episode. Uh, obviously, that was good enough to get a second season, uh, kept people tuning in, and I believe from there on, all the ratings just kept going up. Um, in other areas, uh, after the first season was out, it hit Netflix. That obviously had some uh, help in boosting its uh, what's the word I'm looking awareness for, awareness Appearance. thank you god damn it's late <laughs> <laughs> yeah boosting awareness netflix was actually where i first saw this show so i knew a lot of people who got into it at that point and then on the critical aspect uh to this day it has an 86 percent guaranteed fresh rating on rotten tomatoes out of 35 critic reviews so I would say it's pretty successful in getting people to watch it and like it. Hells, yeah. Well, I mean, i got to learn more about Nielsen TV ratings. And just if 3.25 million average is a solid, I feel as if that's really low considering the amount of Americans that probably watch TV on any given day. That's actually kind of really good. For, for how diverse television has become, too. Like... Considering media fragmentation and, yeah, like, 
3.24 million is is that's really solid. You can you can yeah. charge a fair amount of advertisers CPM. For context, um, the uh, season three of Community was also a little over three million viewers per episode. That is really terrible comparison. <laughs> so this show was about as successful as Community. In its third season, though, that's In totally. Its third season. I feel as if that's totally different. Also, Community was on NBC, not a spinoff of Warner Brothers <laughs> Network. So it's even better then. Like this, the show basically did better than Community. You, for a season, Community was up and down. All right, well, or down. Of course, uh, I would t- it, Community didn't get renewed for a fourth season on network TV. Not right away. Moral of, Maybe. Moral, moral of the story. <laughs> I feel like Discovery wasn't on NBC five for some reason. But never mind. Back in the Community is a whole other history of weird stuff that happened to that show. The trail is very interesting, but we're on Arrow right now, season one. So let's talk about comic books. Uh, most of Arrow season one is based on Batman. Um, come on. I mean, just look at the characters. Oliver Queen, Billionaire by Day, Vigilante by Night, witnessed a parent's death in front of him. You have just line up the characters. Andy Diggle as Alfred, or sorry, John Diggle as Alfred. You have Felicity Smoke as your Barbara Gordon. Quentin Lance is your Commissioner Gordon. So on and so on. I mean, Moira is and Thea are kind of the only two outliers of the core. Like you can pretty much line up any other character to a Batman archetype. But not yeah. not to mention the actual Batman villains that show up, including <laughs> Firefly in the worst episode of the season. Yes, debatably. <laughs> so, but the 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 first spurt of inspiration for this show is based on the comic book Green Arrow Year One by Andy Diggle and Jock, one name. Uh, the similarities between this it was just a six issue series. Uh, it's just Oliver Queen gets stranded on an island and that's where he first trains to become Green Arrow. Uh, and the main antagonist of that is China White who we see a lot of in the television show, but not really in any sort of meaningful way. (laughs) Uh, The characters John Diggle, Tommy Merlin, Moira Queen, and Walter Steele are all show exclusive, so they had no real origins in the comic books at any point in time. So I'm not going to talk about them, but I'm, I am going to talk about some characters that were prevalent throughout the season and where they came from. Starting with, who is Felicity Smoke? Well, she debuted in Fury of Firestorm, number 23, in 1984. Jerry Conway and Raphael Kayanan. <laughs> no idea. She, she was a Firestorm side character. That was always at odds with the character, fervently reminding him of the collateral damage his super battles caused. Not only life and limb to civilians, but also millions of dollars to her computer software company. So there's some basis of they just plucked out a random computer engineer and said, you're going to be more fleshed out now. Eventually, she marries Ronnie Raymond's son, Ed and we know Ronnie Raymond, to be half of Firestorm. Talk more about Firestorm when we get to Flash. 
Next question. I'm sorry. Next character. Thea Dearden Queen. Based on the character Mia Dearden. No relation actual to the Queen family. She premiered in Green Arrow, Volume 3, Number 2 in 2001 by Kevin Smith and Phil Hester. Yes, that is right. Writer, actor, director, Kevin Smith. Fat did Kevin a, Smith? Fat Kevin Smith. Did, wow. Kevin Smith. Yep. He did a he did a, a a Green Arrow run. He's done a Batman run. Um, he did a Daredevil set for a little bit too. So, but and all of those are famous for one reason or another. Uh, <laughs> and so Thea Dearden Queen is a well Mia Dearden is a teenage runaway that turned to prostitution in order to provide for food and shelter. Uh, she was rescued from that life by Green Arrow Ollie Queen and sought to be his ward. And he initially refused because of his guilt with Roy Harper, the first Speedy. And he neglected Roy, and Roy became a drug addict and lost his limb. More on that later. But he eventually relented, and she got trained in as the second Speedy. She is notably one of the few HIV-positive characters out there uh, as a side effect of her life as a sex slave. Um, next up, Detective Quentin Larry Lance premiered in Flash Comics number 92 in 1948. Robert Kaniger and Carmine Infantino, originally a civilian that the Golden Age Black Canary had to save all the time. A male damsel in distress. Is there, is there Prince a... Of Prince of Harold. <laughs> okay, a dude in distress. There you go. Uh, Duke in Distress, there you go. Duke in Distress, that's good. Uh, Eventually, he was written as a detective instead of just a bubbling idiot. Uh, A a detective of Gotham City. He became the husband to Dinah Drake, that first Black Canary, and the father to Dinah Laurel Lance, the second Black Canary. Paul Blackthorne is just so good in this show. He is really good. It makes you want to really go back and watch Dresden Files. Oh, hell yeah. Next character, Dinah Laurel Lance, premiered in Flash Comics number 86, but not really. In 1947, Robert Kaniger and Carmen Infantino again. This is really tricky, okay? So, she, Black Canary, the first one, a.k.a. Dinah Drake, is a crime fighter of no superhuman abilities, but a strong member of the first comic book superhero team, the Justice Society of America. By first comic book superhero team, I mean the first one ever published. This is confusing. DC Comics used to involve a lot of transferring characters through parallel Earths before they wiped the floor with that in an event called Crisis on Infinite Earths in the 80s. But before all that, stuff was weird. Black Canary has been active since the 40s as a 30-year-old woman. DC, with the exception of Batman, tries to explain characters' old age. They try to have characters age with them, like the Flash gets replaced, Green Lantern gets replaced on a regular basis. Wonder Woman got replaced a few times, but Batman's the only one that's only replaced like once. But anyway, so you see apparently Dinah Drake had a daughter at a young age 
named... I don't think they gave this daughter a name. But if it was, it would have been Dinah Laurel. I haven't read the book. Which was put into suspended animation because she was cursed. When Dinah learned she was dying of radiation from crossing over from Earth 2 to Earth 1, which she did because her husband died, she had her consciousness transferred into the body of the suspended vegetable daughter she had, who had now grown to full age, hence to explain why she still looked like she was in her 20s and 30s in 1975. Writers, stop. Stop it. To me. (laughs) Well, they did stop. Like, by 86, they were like, we need to get rid of all these parallel Earths because they're just too confusing. So after 86, they retconned the whole thing. And now Dinah Laurel Lance is the daughter of the original Black Canary who was active in the 40s and Dinah being active in the 80s. And I'll talk more about Black Canary in season two. Just wanted to get that straight, though. Best I could. Next character, Shadow. Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, number one, 1987, written and drawn by Mike Grell. Raised by the Yakuza to kill men who shamed her father, she runs into Green Arrow and assists him in tracking down a murderer and rescuing Black Canary from a kidnapping. She helped Green Arrow kill that kidnapper, so guilt made him super guilty. Also, one time Green Arrow was injured, and she nursed him back to health. But this whole time, Ollie was delirious under her care, but still there was some mixed communication, and they ended up having sex. But he feels that she raped him, and that eventually led to him having a son named Connor Hawk, who would eventually replace Ollie as the next Green Arrow. (sighs) Comic books, man. Still slightly better than the Laurel Lance situation. <laughs> well, they learned a bit more by the 80s. <laughs> it, it, made, it makes more sense. <laughs> All right, so now we're on Roy Harper, a.k.a. Speedy, a.k.a. Arsenal, a.k.a. Red Arrow, premiered in More Fun Comics number 73, 1941. Mort Weisinger and George Papp. His, <laughs> I love this. His father was a forest ranger, who died in a forest fire. He was adopted by a Navajo chief, Brave Bow, who died of old age, and then adopted by Oliver Queen. So he had a lot of bow training from a very young age. Known as Speedy, because he beat Oliver in a foot race once, because Speedy tends to get mixed up with Kid Flash, Flash's sidekick, because Speedy is kind of no, non, doesn't make sense for a sidekick name. Um, he's a happy-go-lucky kid until the early 70s, where there was a long run in which Roy was addicted to heroin. This is one of the most famous comic book runs out there, one of the first to deal with drug addiction, and really, really like actual graphic depictions. Do you know if that... Um, was at the same time, before or after, right around the time when uh, Harry Osborn was getting addicted to painkillers in the 70s in the Spider-Man comics? Um, it was right around the same time. 
But uh, he's a Roy Harper is a frequent member or leader of the Teen Titans, and he's famous for representing how bad Oliver is at having wards. Because <laughs> Green Arrow just went on the road for a little bit with Green Lantern and came back to find my ward, a junkie. That's the famous phrase on the cover of the book of Roy Harper shooting up heroin right on the cover. To track this down right now. <laughs> Next character, Malcolm Merlin, or just Merlin in the comics, because his actual alter ego is Arthur King, premiered in Justice League of America number 94, 1971, by Mike Frederick, Neil Adams, and Dick Dillon. An early rival to Green Arrow, having publicly beat him in a shooting contest, after that he falls off the map for a couple of years, comes back as a member of the League of Assassins, with a contract on Batman. GA halts that, and Merlin becomes a freelance assassin, running in with Green Arrow seldomly, and really only showing up on a side character as a side character for big events. He is the perfect Green Lantern villain, because he's just another guy that shoots arrows, but really he doesn't show up as his main villain all the time. You said he was a Green Lantern villain. Oh, my bad. Green Arrow. Hey, man, everybody's so green. Hey, speaking of which, that uh, cover you were talking about has Green Arrow on it. Or, sorry, Green Lantern. See, I yep. did it there. <laughs> Just being all judgmental, like, what's your answer to this? Fucker? Yeah, well, it, it, it's supposed to take... Because Green Arrow and Green Lantern went on the road for a long time. Uh, it was uh, Neil Adams and 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 the famous Batman writer, who I can't freaking remember right now. And Denny O'Neill. Thank you. Um, and... They talked about – they were just like, let's look at a newspaper, and we're going to do a comic book story on what we found in the newspaper because Green Arrow and Green Lantern are just on the road, and they're just going to run into real events. Um, and they, this was famous. It was one of the most socially active comic books out there because you had a bleeding liberal with next to the ultimate conservative character. And I had this all written down for later, so I have to phrase this weird. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the, talking about that 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 comic book series, you have yeah the a bleeding liberal versus the ultimate conservative who is a galactic cop, pretty much, and they were gone for a long time. And again, DC likes to explain well what was Speedy doing this whole time because he wasn't in any comic books. He just sort of disappeared. Well, smack yo, he was doing smack. And now we're on to the final character, Oliver Queen. More fun comics number 73 again, 1941, Mort Weisinger and George Pep. He is the 1940s Robin Hood. Whimsy, but no real popularity in his original inception. A lot of trick arrows that continually defied the laws of physics. Most famous is boxing glove trick arrow. That does not make any sense. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> Staple a boxing glove to the end of an arrow and punch people with it. <laughs> well, you would shoot it at people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it would punch them. What doesn't make sense about that? Mm, you should tell me. By the 1970s, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, I wrote it down, uh, modernized the character, have him lose his fortune, so it transforms, transforms him into this urban street dweller, dweller fighter for the common man character. And that's when, of course, they paired him with Green Lantern and they went on the road. Moving on, Green Lantern died in the 90s where his son, Connor Hawk, took over. 
but popularity waned on Connor. People didn't like him that much. So Kevin Smith was hired to bring Oliver Queen back. And now Green Arrow has been retconned into a much younger version of himself since the new 52 were released in 2011. And that is comic books. It was like as many as freaking X-Men. My God. I don't know. X-Men's got, got a lot going on. Skyler, talk to me about Blake Neely. All right. I will. His name. It, it's, it's pretty epic. I'll try to keep things brief uh, just for the sake of time. But I've got three clips in the waiting of Blake Neely's score to Arrow Season 1. Obviously, the first place to start off is going to be the Arrow theme. Uh, if you watch this show for even one season, you will be hopelessly familiar with uh, Neely's energetic sound for this show. Let's take a listen. Gotta get to those dope violins. <laughs> yeah. Thank Just you. like you're welcome. <laughs> just in case people <laughs> didn't know what we were talking about there. Um, <laughs> no, I just like the show itself. You know, this is fun, energetic, not too demanding music that just perfectly fits with the theme of the show. There was a really good uh, cue from probably about five episodes in where Oliver's having like some kind of monologue where it's like, I can't be too close to everyone. And it goes through a, uh, a montage of like Quentin's getting drunk in a bar and everyone's all doing their stuff. And I unfortunately couldn't find that, but um, there are plenty of good tracks to uh, listen to instead, such as Vigilante Justice. That was dubstep hop hot at the time. I would imagine so. I mean, there are obviously a bunch of dubstep and EDM influences in this soundtrack, but I, yeah, right around 2012, but that was a pretty hopping time for it. I I just love the stomping, uh, eventually point where it's like it's it's beautiful walking music. You, it makes you feel like a badass if you walk and mu- that music is behind you. Yeah. Yeah, this music just makes me want to dive through a window for some reason. Honestly, this is some really well put together action music. It's 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 pretty it's 
it's pretty diverse enough for the show, but and but they repeat it a lot because it's not like it's just one score for a movie. It's for multiple scenes uh, throughout a season. Right. Obviously, for like, you're not going to write individual music for every minute of a 23 episode, 40 minute TV show. <laughs> but there's more variety in this score than you get in a lot of your um, regular uh, primetime TV music. True. And I think for the last one I've got on the docket, it is I Can't Lose You Twice. Who's rocking that trumpet solo? Some lucky bastard. <laughs> Is it a trumpet or a trombone? Oh, Ben, help us out here. Did uh, you play? Like ass. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you not a fan? It's probably not a trombone if it doesn't sound like ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a trombone fan. Is what he's saying. Uh, no, I. I'm friends with, I have many trombone playing friends, uh, but they, they are not a beautiful instrument in general. <laughs> Any trombone player will tell you this. They're not, they're not beautiful instruments. <laughs> they're somewhat brash, somewhat coarse. They're there for comedic purposes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it wouldn't be an arrow music segment without throwing at least one sappy something something brutish something really confusingly dramatic because i love how the show is really just trying to pull you from like five years ago oliver was a piece of shit but now he's trying to make up for that but like how much can people forgive him because that pilot really really put the bar pretty high of you were dating tina laurel lance you took, you cheated on her with her sister, and then led to her sister's death. Not counting season two. And now you want to have her back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're kind of shit there, dude. It's a big uphill battle. <laughs> but all right, music. Blake Neely has job security. That is what we can determine. Oh yeah, him. Uh... Bear McCreary and Sean Callery just kind of all three do all of the music television these days. They're pretty good at it. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely for a reason. Anything else you want to talk about music, Sky Guy? No, but if um, the uh, following seasons are anywhere near as good as the music offerings for this first one, I'm going to have plenty to talk about. Huzzah! You know who also has to talk about stuff? Ben! How are my segues doing, by the way, guys? <laughs> They're getting better. <laughs> They're, pretty, they're pretty good. Good. I haven't gotten lame, which means I'm less funny. So, yeah. s- <laughs> speaking of lame, Ben. Yeah. What can you? Uh, what can you? Uh, what do you? Uh, what do you? What do you? What do you? Uh, do, uh, 
Have you been talking about paint? (laughs) Huffing paint? Because there are many, uh, there are a variety of both short-term and long-term negative health effects associated with, you know, inhaling paint fumes. Well, let me set up some context. Yes, let's let's get context for this. As you know, in Arrow Season 1, Oliver uses some form of paint over his eyes to help conceal his identity with the hood. Uh, Green paint, very innovative, and I don't think we've really seen that before, at least not on television for certain. People just wear a regular mask. Yeah, like something weird and latexy. Um, But this was sort of like a bit more edgy and more real. Um, Yeah. But like it, it, it may be war paint, so it may be like pretty safe for you, but it looks like spray paint. It looks like spray paint. I hope it's not. Because if it were spray paint, what would that mean, Ben? Well, if you're um, if you're spraying yourself in the face with spray paint every night, um, short term you're going to have an irritated eyes, nose, throat, respiratory tract area um, kind of area. You're going to have headaches. You're going to have poor coordination. You're going to have nausea, dizziness, memory impairment. Not good things if you're trying to. Uh, you know, be a badass vigilante. <laughs> um, so that that's short-term exposure. Um, if you're doing this night after night, you're going to have to deal with the long-term health consequences of paint fumes, which are severe. It will kill you. Um, liver damage, kidney damage, central nervous system problems, seizures, memory loss, Wow, yeah, no good. the list goes on and on. Answer. <laughs> Death. Yeah, so if, if you're dealing, if you're painting, be in a well-ventilated, large space. Um, take breaks to get fresh air because uh, paint fumes are toxic. Keep it away from your brain orifices. Especially if you're uh, pregnant, plan to become pregnant, or a baby. <laughs> I would just like to imagine a little baby being like, I'm Green Arrow, and then dying. Uh, yeah, so next... baby's really funny, Michael. <laughs> well, <Yes. laughs> you know what? I don't win them with smiles. Um, I don't know what that phrase means. I was I put on either. the spot. <laughs> Again, you, 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 you should stop huffing paint because... <laughs> Cognitive impairment, man. You know what? I gotta conceal my identity somehow, don't I? And masks aren't comfortable. No. Speaking of cognitive impairments, what are all these about grappling hooks and stuff? Oh yeah, grappling hook arrows. <laughs> Speaking of owls, tell me about uh, juice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So, gin and juice was the uh, the third single from Snoop Dogg's. Uh, 1993 album Doggy Style, <laughs> he advocates for um, moderation, safety, and responsible use of mood-altering substances such as tobacco and marijuana. Okay, and uh, trick so, arrows. Yeah, trick arrows. So um, we'll talk about grappling hook arrows today. We can probably do like one trick arrow a season. Okay. Well, yeah. he does have a few. I mean, it's not it's not that hard to put an explosive on an arrow. I think it's they're very tiny the way he had them. Explosives right. don't have to be really big, right? 
and most of the time they're just showers of sparks. Right. Uh, and hopefully we'll get David on as well to talk about actual arrow wounds. Yeah. And what that'll do, because it's a very specific kind of injury. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot, happens a lot. Be, duh, it does. Yeah. Otherwise, nothing can happen. Yeah. <laughs> so grappling hook arrows, could they happen? So you shoot an arrow, and it sticks in the wall, and then you zip along on a line to it. And they did it on Mythbusters, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, and they determined that there's a couple problems with doing it in real life. Um, basically, you need a really powerful bow to shoot an arrow hard enough that it will embed itself in concrete. Or have Odysseus-level strength. Well, it's, it, it, would be, it would be both. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have a, a bow that can shoot with that kind of force, and you have to be strong enough to pull it back. Um, but like nail guns, they can shoot into concrete. So if you can shoot an arrow with the force of a nail gun, yeah, you're probably good. Um, the other, the other hard part is a, like the motor thing that he used, that he would use to zip along the, the grappling hook line. Um, it has to be strong enough, powerful enough, enough torque to pull you along at high speed, uh, but small enough that you can actually carry it with you on your person and have it be light enough that it's not. It's not like you're lugging around like a 300-pound generator. It'd be hard to create. It'd be an engineering problem you'd have to you'd have to solve. But there's no reason that it's impossible. Mm, well, he just he just zips away so fast is the thing, and he, yeah. and he does it so gracefully too. Like you, you feel as if like something should move, but he kind of just gets lifted as if he's got like a like a harness on. Yeah, almost as if they put a put him in a harness and then added the arrow like <laughs> did it all in like special effects and green screens. Uh, oh, green screens, nice. Yeah. So, I wonder I wonder if they couldn't use green screens because of his outfit sometimes. Probably a blue screen then. Mm. All right. So, whatever about grappling hook arrows. I mean, what what were you going to use it for anyway? Uh, grappling up on buildings. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Building zip lines. They're actually they're actually pretty neat. <laughs> Let's get to the big topic. The big topic. The whole season finale, the whole plot, the undertaking mm-hmm. is all based on Markovian technology. The earthquake machine. Again, I didn't get that far in the se- in the series, so why don't you explain um, <laughs> what it was and how it worked? Well, we, we if you're familiar, you know, there was a there was a machine that they had to disarm that had the ability to level cities. And it just looked like a really big generator, you know, about the size of a, a bookcase, pretty mm-hmm. close, and with a big pummel on it. And it would it was supposed to it looked like it was just gonna just ram the ground really hard and cause an earthquake. Because uh, it was just on a fault line is all, and that's all they had to do. Um, and so they disabled one, but one of them still got away, and it leveled the slums of Starling City. Okay. So it's, it sounds like um, the earthquake machine in Arrow was based on a, um, a machine that actually existed uh, and uh, was created uh, by Nikola Tesla, legendary mad scientist uh, in 1893 
Um, and he demonstrated it at the um, the world's, I think it was the world's fair. Um, it was essentially a electricity generator. Um, and basically steam was forced uh, through a series of pipes that would push a piston up and down that was attached to an arm. Um, and that would vibrate at high speed and it would produce electricity. Um, and the reason it was called an earthquake machine was because the oscillations of this device um, were so strong that you could feel it vibrate from very far away. Um, and so there's kind of an urban legend that um, it literally caused an earthquake, although it didn't. Actually. Didn't they also do this on Mythbusters? <laughs> uh, they, did they do it on Yes, they did do it on Mythbusters. Uh, and um, they proved they, that it didn't work. They, and it, they, they built a, a version of it that it didn't use steam; it used regular electricity. Um, but it did the same, the same kind of thing: push piston up and down, produce these, uh, produce these vibrations, and you could feel them really far away. Um, but they put the device on like a modern suspension bridge, and the bridge didn't fall apart. Yeah, so you're good to go. But what if you put it on a fault line? Uh, eh. <laughs> it, probably, it, it, it probably wouldn't like it. What would you need to trigger a fault line? A big explosion? You need, like, a nuclear device. Oh, really? Yeah, like, or... So a big explosion. <laughs> you, you need, yeah, you need a big explosion. So you need, like, an underground nuclear test, um, fracking... Oh, really? Where they make, uh, I don't know exactly how it works, but basically there's, they force, uh, I think it's like, like they find, they have a way to force natural gas up through the Earth's, uh, through the Earth's crust. Um, mm -hmm. That has been speculated to cause earthquakes. Oh, speculation. Because in regions where they've started fracking, the rate of earthquakes has increased dramatically. Hmm. In a statistically significant way. So probably fracking can cause earthquakes, um, but just slamming a piston up and down into the ground, eh, no, not in real life. <laughs> not, not the version that actually existed. Yeah, but hell, was it dramatic. Yeah, so that's science. No more science from you, Ben? Uh, that's all I got for now. Okay. I'll be back, I'll be back next week. Probably. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. So uh, I would say we, w we typically would have two final sections. You know, we would have a guest section come in, Twitter Tom with some fun facts. Kleppy might come in and describe medical procedure of some point or another. Uh, but no guests today. This, this, this one was hard enough to coordinate with just the three of us yeah. this week. We <laughs> times. <laughs> 5 a.m. It's 10 p.m. now. I'll let you do the math because I just can't. You're very tired. I know. but And also drinking game rules. Those have already been made by separate parties. And I don't know. I don't want to step toes. I feel as if our rules couldn't really compare. They're pretty generic. Yeah. And they're good enough to get you through, honestly. And the season two ones are better because the last rule is... Drink every time you see Laurel, because by season two that is a necessity. 
I get it. It's 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 a meta reference because she's an alcoholic. <laughs> well, yes. Uh-oh. Um, to be fair, you're also an alcoholic. Uh, no, I. You know when you like have a scone for lunch and then nothing for the rest of the day, <laughs> and like your stomach becomes so empty that you just burp all the time. <laughs> nope. But you okay. Stop muting your microphone because the keyboard's so far away. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. So we're going to skip past all that today. Jazz. All that jazz, yes. Um, And we're just going to wrap it up, make it nice and shorter, sweeter one, an extended comic book section, a very solid music and science section. But that will wrap it up today, super fans. A very solid music section and also a science section. <laughs> yes. It looks like that'll... <laughs> That'll wrap it up today, Superfans. Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear, leave us alone. Thank you. That is all. You should by now know how to rate things on iTunes. I don't have to tell you. It's pretty easy to do. And if you don't, you can figure it out quite easily. And that's all we really ask you to do in terms of involvement. We're going to get more involved as the website develops. The website develops. Actually, it kind of is hard to rate things on iTunes because it's a POS software. Mm. Um, it's really awful, profoundly awful. Um, but what's going to be great, uh, tryopcop.com. Um, it's where our podcasts are going to be hosted in the future. Is it up yet? Um, Hopefully. Well, this is this is going to be a two-week pre-recording. So by two weeks from now, I will – here, how's this, right? We're going to – let's 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 give the listeners a little intake on, on, on some behind-the-scenes right now. Oh, boy. So we're doing season one of Arrow. We're doing, we're doing season two of Arrow as well. This is all our big St. Patrick's Day lead-up, a couple of shows. By then – it should be Dark Knight Returns, parts one and two, in preparation for the big movie, Batman Superman. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we'll have one uh, – we'll make sure we get Squeak Deadpool in, and then we're going to have a mailbag. And right after the mailbag, we are going to take a two-week break, and by then, everything will get moved to tryupcop.com. can promise you that. That'll be about mid-April. That is the current plan. In a month or two, TropCop.com will be live. Mm. Yay, we're getting our we'll shit together. Before then, but that's that. That's will be your 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 go-to place. Yeah, everything's gonna shift. Things are probably gonna get retitled, um, as well as uh, you no longer should ever have to ever go to SuperheroMovieClub.Popping.com ever again. Nor should uh, those preambles exist in any of the files? Um, as a service to you people. As a service to me. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> as a service to me, never wanting to hear So without Skylar being racist. No. <laughs> that has also been deleted. Uh, so enjoy that while you can, because that file is going to get replaced in a month. Nice. That episode. Um, but, but that is the current... Triop Cop 
planned. I know we gave you a little bit of an update last week, um, but we were still pretty unsure by last week. But by this week, we actually have a schedule. Popcorn and Skylar. <laughs> In the meantime, we will still have an active Twitter feed at SuperM Studies. So follow us and send us your questions, comments, and suggestions for us to use on the air, because we will. Actually, we won't use them. We'll bring in Twitter Tom. He'll use them. He'll pick oh. out his favorites. He's okay, in charge he'll use of that. that. Yeah, he's in charge of it. I mean, I, he does I, a good I, job. He does a phenomenal job. Um, I look at it from time to time. I'm sure you guys too. He's he's the guy who's who's going to be talking to you, and he's a hoot. And maybe one day we'll get the Facebook to be accurate. We'll never. We are not touching the Facebook. It's gone. And yet we still get uh, shares on there, so okay. I it'll it'll never be updated by me. Okay. I I'm not wasting my energy. <laughs> fair fair enough. That'll do it today. I'm your host Michael Mauer, James Skyler Hautsma, and I'm Ben Anderson. And I hope you all have a super week. Bye. You have failed this city. I'm waking up to. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust I'm breathing in the chemicals